I am Planta on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Teresa Alfeld joins me again. The acclaimed filmmaker has a new documentary, Doug and the Slugs and Me. It's such a terrific movie that showcases the late Doug Bennett, his music, and his collaborators. The movie features interviews with a lot of the important players in Bennett's life, personally and professionally. It's the closing night film at DOXA, the documentary film festival, this Sunday evening, though uh, there's also a screening Saturday night and Sunday afternoon. And if you can't make it downtown, you can uh, stream it beginning Saturday night after 8 p.m. I'll ask Teresa about her connection to the Bennett family, as well as uh, what, if anything, did uh, the Doug and the Slugs music mean to her. I'll ask her about uh, how she pieced together the life and times of Bennett, what drove him, and what he was thinking about as he worked to get his career off the ground, and as he and the Slugs made it as, uh, as a success. Teresa was able to use diaries that Bennett kept, and they provide such a marvelous insight into his creativity and his commitment to family. Visit slugumentary.com for more information and visit doxafestival.ca for tickets. Teresa Alfeld was first on the program in 2018 when her documentary, The Rankin File, on Harry Rankin debuted. Please uh, welcome back to the Plant Online program, Teresa Alfeld. Ms. Alfeld, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. Thanks for joining us. Um, when we um, last talked, that was when the rank and file came out, uh, a, a, uh, since we last talked, uh, a lot has happened in your life. You mentioned in, in the film uh, the death of your father, and, and I understand that you got married as well. Is that right? That is correct. Not in that order, but uh, <laughs> that's correct. Um, and and uh, when we last talked, you mentioned that your next project would be a film about Doug and the Slugs. Um, I, this connection between you and um, the, the Bennett family, was this something that you always wanted to talk about, say? Not at all. Hard no. Really? <laughs> so actually, I'm so glad you brought that up, because I actually, I truly remember that moment chatting with you, Joe, um, when you asked me my next project. And it was, you know, I was just overwhelmed, um, you know, having completed the rank and file with my producer, John Bolton. And I was so tired, yeah. and I honestly hadn't put a ton of thought into what would be next. But as much as I had was, hey, we've used all this Doug and the Slugs music mm-hmm. in, in the rank and file, yeah. and it's getting such a positive response. People are so happy to be hearing this music again for, for obvious reasons. Right. And so you were the first person who I said, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a film about Dragon the Slugs, but it wasn't much beyond an early conversation between myself and and again producer John Bolton and and Simon Kendall at that point. So, uh, yes, four years later, here we are. So, for a lot of people, the music is nostalgic. Um, you know, I, as I told you just before we started, Doug and the Slugs is not really on my playlist. It's not my jam, but but I have to say that listening to the music. Uh, in the film has made me want to go to my Apple Music and, and listen to what's there. Um, it must be fun, uh, not just for you, but for others, to, to have people revisit Doug Bennett and his music again. Well, it was an absolutely incredible sort of task to be um, given the responsibility to, you know, bring this music back to life. And, you know, my generation, I'm... Uh, I didn't grow up listening to Doug and the Slugs. Uh-huh. I would certainly hear them on oldies radio. Right. Um, and I, I do remember, obviously, um, the Norm Macdonald show, which licensed 
too bad Mm -hmm. for the opening sequence. And probably the most exposure to Doug and the Flibs I and my generation had as as kids was when they licensed Making It Work to Making Trace Deli. And I remember we would all sing, making it work, making Trace Stelle, making it work, <laughs> it's the right cheese. And so that was yeah. sort of, that was sort of like the, 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 the scope of how much I engaged with Doug's music and Doug and the Slug's music at the time. So when I started out, you know, making this film, which again, as I mentioned, bled from the rank and file, and I started actually sitting down and listening to the full catalog, none of which was available digitally, mind you. So, yeah, yeah. you know, my husband came with me to the record store and we got all the vinyls and uh-huh. sat down and listened. And it was just, it was explosive to, to really start to hear everything that they had created, which was so much richer than, and again, not, not to flag on the big hits, yeah. You know, Too Bad is an excellent song, as is Making It Work. They're re- beautifully yeah. crafted pop songs. But on top of that, um, the band had created this incredibly distinct, incredibly complex, varied, funny, dark catalog of music, which I really think only could have come out of Vancouver. And yeah. so yeah. I, I, I'm so excited that, you know, in the process of making this film, we partnered with Simon to get that music remastered and get it out there mm. so that people can can engage with this band and give them the second look that they deserve. Yeah, I'm skipping to the end of the film where, where you show us this concert at the Commodore in 2019. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. You, you see the enthusiasm in the audience. Those shots are just marvelous to see the, the, the audience, um, you know, of a particular vintage. But, you know, it was... It, <laughs> It was pretty. It was pretty varied as well. You know, there, there are a lot of people in the audience who, you know, are um, who are re- discovering the music as well. Yeah, uh, just yeah. how much they enjoy it, and, and how much it, it. You can see the the look on their faces of of, of um, the, sort of the memories that it all brings back. Of course, and I mean, I know this is cliche to say, but for for a lot of folks, you know, getting to hear the band that you grew up with yeah, again yeah. is. It's almost a, like it's a cultural moment. It's like a religious experience. And being at the band's, that was their 40th anniversary show at the Commodore, mm-hmm. like, Joe, I'm not lying, the floor was shaking. <laughs> it was packed, and people were hugging, they were crying, they were singing aloud. It was, you know, and again, this was the first time I'd seen a real sort of... Um, Slug show since, you know, I think since since I was five, yeah, you know, yeah. and saw them play the peony. So it was, you know, at that moment, it was just so beautiful to witness and be reminded of how much this band means to people. So you show us in the film the, the Bennett home on Semlin. I, I can't remember if Semlin's a drive or an avenue. Yeah, yeah um, Semlin Drive. Semlin Drive, pardon me. Um, and uh, growing up, you live next door, is that right? Right next door. Um What's fun to see in 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 the film are the, the, these uh, is when you talk um, about what it was like growing up there. Um, uh, we, we see it in the home movies um, mm-hmm. that to you, Doug Bennett was just your friend's dad, wasn't he? Correct. You, you didn't really know everything that you know now about him as, as you bear in the film, right? Not at all. And you know, I probably should have pieced it together a little better than I did because, you know, occasionally we would go down to Doug's office and I remember seeing posters and gold records, but for me, my focus was just on Shay. You know, I just mm-hmm. wanted to play with my, 
you know, super fun best friend. And, and we did so all the time. And, and Doug was part of that. You know, I was saying earlier today, Doug used to do wacky pranks. You know, he would uh-huh. chase us with a turkey on his head or he would get us with the, um, with the hose and spray us down. Like, he was a very present dad. And so, you know, I, I guess I sort of understand that all of the, all of the sort of uh, hints at the the um, size of his career and the impact he'd had went over my child my child brain went mm-hmm. right over my little kid head and all I knew was the Bennetts were lots of fun Shay was lots of fun Doug was a cool dad aren't I lucky I get to spend time here yeah so it was it was Doug uh, his wife Nancy and then three daughters is that right correct yep. yeah and a dog and um, the, 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 was music a part of, say, you're all growing up? I mean, did, did you, did you, I, 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 there were there were videos of him going to, I guess, your school and, and performing at mm-hmm. Christmas, say, um, did you have an idea that, that um, he was he was this talented, say, or this prolific as a, as a songwriter? None whatsoever. Really? None whatsoever. And again, you know, I was chatting with um, one of the girls about this, you know, Doug, he rarely sang at, at the mm. house, and there wasn't a lot of music being played. I mean, there's certainly, there's, there's certainly music playing, but I actually, I, I, I've always held this memory of the one time I heard Doug sort of singing casually, you know, and it wasn't a party. It wasn't one of those epic um, gatherings at his home, of which there were so many. Um, and again, the ones where, where that you see in the film were mm. actually a bit before my time. Um, but I do, I do recall hearing Doug singing this one day. He was just sitting at the kitchen table, and he started singing, um, uh, "Oh, where, oh, where could my baby be? The Lord took her away from me." I, I'm so sorry, I can't remember who the original artist is, but it was pretty famously covered by uh, Pearl Jam. Uh, I guess around that time, and I remember getting goosebumps and being like, "What?" What is happening? Like, I didn't know, I didn't know Shay's dad could sing. I mean, yeah, I guess I kind of, I, I know that I must have seen him play at the PE, um, when I was very young, but I don't, I was too young to actually remember that. But, but that one, that one moment of Doug singing that song and he, something that I think was really special about him and, and really with, with all the band, um, in their own ways was they could really tell a story. Yeah. And, and, and Doug had such, soul um when he when he was just sitting there at the kitchen table with his long ponytail and i'm pretty sure he had a glass of jack daniels um Uh but that moment always stood out to me but it wasn't enough for me to think oh there might be a little bit more to shay's dad until decades later when we started this film and talking about telling a story throughout the film um you present excerpts from his diaries which um, mm-hmm. I gather you got as you were making the film. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We were we were a few months in when we were gifted um, this incredible collection of, of Doug's thirty nine diaries. Yeah. Yeah, and so they, they provide such marvelous insight into his mind, and and um, uh, you, you do such a wonderful thing in the film in in, in getting people to read excerpts of, of the diaries. Um, you know, I mean, other filmmakers might have used, a, say, a, 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 someone that sounds like him, but I thought it was more powerful when you had people read uh, what he wrote about them. Um, in terms of, of these diaries, um, I'm, I'm curious, how far do they go in terms of, of um, what, what time period of his life do they, do they capture, say? 
So the very first one is January 3rd, 1980. And uh, in the film, I read that very first entry. And it's yeah. so, again, I talk about goosebumps a lot. Cause that's when I know things are going right. But yeah, I remember yeah. reading that first, that very first entry. And it's the words of a person who is finally starting to get the sense that this dream he's had for years might just be taking off. And he's quite, he downplays it and he's quite subtle and, uh-huh. you know, he, he gets very flowery in how he describes it. But to be able to read someone at that, just that little shimmering moment where their career is starting to take off and I have the knowledge of where it's going to go. That was, yeah. just, it was just an incredible yeah, moment. Yeah. And so they start, like I said, in 1980 and the very last entry is from 1989. So it was really just as the band was taking off, um, you know, they'd had their first number one hit, Too Bad. They'd signed with Sam Feldman. They weren't yet working with RCA uh, in January of 1980, all the way to 1989 when obviously the shape of the band looked quite a bit different. The thing I kept wondering about as I was watching the film is, is did he stop keeping a diary or, or, or um, I mean, he lived till what, uh, 2004, is that right? That's, that's correct. Yeah. Um, did, did he just find it uninteresting to, to say write down things at the end of the day, or? As far as I can tell, he just stopped, yeah. um, and I think that really coincided with where he was in his career. Mm-hmm. You know, um, as we as we sort of touch on in the film, Doug had a lot of dreams beyond just Doug and the Slugs. Yeah. You know, he was really he had such a great reception playing. Um, in, in rock and roll, the, the stage show, um, and he'd done some other acting, and, you know, he was hopeful, he was, sorry, you're going to hear a big helicopter because I live right by the hospital, let me move over. You know, he he had so many ambitions, and I think, I think he just recognized that he was, he no longer wanted to write about building Doug and the Slugs because they were in a very different place at that time. Yeah. And those final entries, actually, they're far more domestic uh-huh. which was quite interesting to watch sort of the change as Doug becomes a family man. And so the very last entry just sort of trails off. You know, it describes Christmas and the leather pants he bought Nancy for Christmas. And <laughs> and then that's, that's just it. Yeah. So, and trust me, Joe, I have been looking and I have been asking. None of the girls remember him journaling, per se, into yeah. the 90s, nor does Nancy. Uh-huh. So, I mean, my goodness, if anyone uncovers... The 90s era of Doug Bennett's diaries, I'm the first person who wants to see them. But yeah. <laughs> until then, no, it seems like he just stopped in 89. And it's so great when, when you showcase his voice in the film, uh, because we see the, the, the journey of a person, you know, as he climbs um, the ladder of fame and success. And, and, and we see uh, just what a different cultural marketplace it is now, um, or it was then as it is now. Um, because they, 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 he worked so hard to, to, to say break into the, the music business, and then you know there's the, the foray into the United States and the sort. Um, getting music out then is 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 is, is um, it was a lot of work back then, wasn't it? And, and to, to imagine just how big they became, they had to be really was, good, didn't they? It was so much work. I mean, I don't need to remind everyone that this is far pre-internet, <laughs> right? right? And Doug and the Slugs, and I really want to bring the Slugs into this conversation too, because Doug Bennett, he, he needed those Slugs. You know, Simon Kendall, John Burton, 
Wally Watson, Steve Bosley, and Rick Baker. Uh These were talented musicians. And Doug himself, you know, he's credited as the songwriters, but it was the band that brought the arrangements and figured out how to fill in, again, I mentioned story, almost the stories and the poems that Doug was writing. And Doug would, of course, you know, he's a terrible guitar player. He would sort of, you know, fill in a bit of a, you know, a melody um, or maybe an idea for a riff. But it was the slugs themselves who helped make that slug sound, that wacky, genre-divergent, eclectic, R&B-infused, punk-infused, pop-infused sound. And with respect to how hard it was, you know, Doug and the Slugs are known as the original road warriors. Mm -hmm. They built their following by playing every single night, by touring their asses off without, you know, huge support from an American label. Mm -hmm. These guys are literally driving back and forth across Canada, which I'm sure you know is a very big country, in some very inclement weather, um, playing super late, eating garbage food, drinking too much, and then getting up and doing it all over again. And this was an era where to succeed in music, you had to mm. you had to build your following and you had to build your sound. Whereas, as of course you know, nowadays people can become internet famous overnight. Yeah. They drop a track on SoundCloud. They've never played live. You know, God help them when they have to play live and figure <laughs> out how to work an audience. Yeah. But, um, no, it was just, uh, again, I, I really learned to respect Doug and the Slugs and, and the musicians, again, the guys, for how hard they worked to pull this thing off. Yeah, and then you, you interview people like Denise Donlan and, and Sam Feldman, you know, these are the, the other people that are involved. Uh, throughout, but by the way, Teresa, were there people that you wanted to talk to that didn't want to talk uh, to you on camera, say, for the film? No. Um, I mean, the, the the Bennett family didn't want to talk to me on yeah. camera. Bet, yeah. You know, every no, everyone connected to Doug and the Slugs was just so happy that the band uh, was finally getting their due. It was just a series of yeses, when are we doing it? You know, the only sort of uh, hesitance Hesitancy came from the, the Bennett girls, mm. you know, when I first reconnected with them and they said, we love that you're doing this. Fabulous. We will help you out with whatever you need. We're not going on camera. Good <laughs> luck. And I said, okay, 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 okay. One, one step at a time here. And, uh, you know, through a lot of just, you know, talking it over and testing the waters, I think they realized just how important their voices were to the story and again, hats off to them for for uh, taking the leap and uh, and putting themselves in front of the camera. It's a marvelous sequence in the film where uh, you all go back to the the, the Grandview Lanes. They're on Commercial <laughs> Drive. It's you and the three daughters. And um, yeah, I don't want to give it away because it, I, I was so moved by by what we see in the film. Um, and the, the fascinating thing is, is to um, you mentioned this. This was, this was the first time that you held a camera. One of these <laughs> birthdays, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was so funny because obviously I was too young. I have no memory of that. Um, but in watching, you know, hours and hours of Ben at Home movies yeah, that, that yeah. Doug's widow Nancy had given me. I found this moment, and again, sorry to overuse this, but again, like goosebumps. I'm like, oh my god! Like, yeah, yeah. wow, there's Doug, literally, you know, helping me 
pick up a camera and and showing me how this works and obviously this goes on to become my 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 profession so yeah that was wild it's totally a, wild a, a, you can't write that stuff. yeah it's just a beautiful moment and it's in the same lane even you know in the in the, yeah. the bowling place yeah um just a just a, a, a marvelous uh film part of the film um you're you're also quite fair in the film you mean you you talk about bennett's faults you interview um some a singer that i guess he had managed uh, he had produced um and they had a professional falling out um you you confront cultural appropriation um this is not a film that that, i mean it's it's a beautiful film in terms of of um remembering doug bennett but it but it also looks at uh, you look at him critically as well don't you Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, and, and and that was an approach that I took with with the rank and file as well. Right. You know, I'm not interested in in making, you know, hero worship. I'm not interested in trying to smooth out all the bumps because, you know, not only does that make for a boring film, but I think it ultimately does a disservice, not only to the subject of the film, but to audiences as well. You know, that we're all complex people and complex individuals. And my goodness, I have my long list of faults that um, my husband can tell you as long as you want to hear him. <laughs> Um, but, you know, it's obviously, you know, it's, and it's an opportunity, right? It's an opportunity to look back at another time and what, where have we, what have we learned since then, you know, and, and what are we doing differently now? And I don't think it ruins Doug's uh, reputation Not or his memories no. to, to bring in just some of that, you know, some of that, those shades of gray that, that, that all, that we all have in our lives. The, the consensus on his death, um, is that it was unnecessary. And I found that a very powerful moment in the movie when uh, people uh, talk about um, when he died and, and how he died. Um, I noticed that um, Nancy and the three children didn't talk about that part. Was that deliberate on the, the was that something that they said they didn't want to talk about? Um, you know, it's, it's really hard for them to talk about for very obvious reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we came to a place where we, it didn't make sense for them to narrate sure. the the end, yeah. but rather to offer their how they feel about talking about him, remembering him, and who he was to them. And you know, because it's it, you know, not to forget, it's 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 emotional labor to have to talk about the circumstances, the very traumatic circumstances of a loved one's death. Yeah. And so we realized, you know, in, in in talking with them, that that wasn't something that they needed to do. We could have other people tell us what exactly happened and let the family bring their memories of Doug, what they miss about Doug and their dad, and, um, and, 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 and contribute in that way. You, you, but in, the, in that part of the film, though, you talk about your own father's death. Um, I do. <laughs> uh, and so how, how was that for you in terms of, of um, talking about that? I mean, it, it's, a, it's a remarkable sequence where um, I guess Shay tells you about how she's contending with it with, with her own father's death and, and you talk about your father's death um, you come to very different conclusions about mm-hmm. what grief is don't you yeah yeah I mean I'll say I, I didn't you know obviously when I set out to make the film my mm-hmm. father was alive and well um, when he passed which was um, actually <laughs> uh, not long before production Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was obviously a really difficult time. Um, and 
you know, I talk in the film about Shay, how Shay supported me. Mm-hmm. And in terms of my own willingness to talk about my own grief, I realized, well, guess what, Teresa? You've been making other people do this for your whole career. Mm-hmm. It's time for you to step up. And I felt, I felt a real obligation that, you know, because it had become, my, my father's passing had become part of Shay and my story. Mm. And it had become this way that we were able to reconnect. And again, I thought this is something I ask other people to do all the time. It's only fair that I do it myself. And as you heard, you know, it certainly wasn't easy. Um, (laughs) Pardon my nervous laugh as I remember the agony of that day. And yeah, yeah. yeah, my biggest memories were just, you know, we're all wearing masks. Uh My my little mask is starting to soak with tears. But but again, I I did what I thought, you know. At a certain point in that conversation, I mean, I do, I forgot the cameras are rolling, yeah. you know, and it just mm-hmm. really became about, about reconnecting with Shay and, and talking about this really, you know, milestone event in both of our lives. And I think, you know, ultimately it, it made sense for the film, but more, more importantly, it made sense for her and I. It really does break your heart when she says that um, no matter how much time passes, it, it it still affects her and it breaks your heart and 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 it 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 doesn't get easier. I think is what she says, doesn't doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what she says, and obviously it's a it's a huge reflection of how she has had to process the trauma mm-hmm. of her dad's death, which was very very different from mine, and and quite quite startling to hear that. And um, Shay, I just have to say, is just the most incredibly strong funny intelligent person again we didn't talk for 20 years and (laughs) you know obviously coming together to make this i was just continuously in awe of her and her openness and willingness to talk about these really painful parts of her life um this film would not have happened without the the bennett girls participation i mean it could have but i wouldn't have wanted to do it i feel like they their lives and their connections to Doug are are critical to telling Doug and Doug and the Slug story. So I'm just, I, I seriously take my hat off to, to not just Shay, but to all the Bennett girls and, and to Nancy. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the part of the film that got me was when um, Nancy reads a passage of the diary, and then she hands it back to you, and in tears she says, his story is the same as mine. Yeah. I mean, it's just a moving, um, I mean, that says everything, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it was, again, you know, I asked so much of my cast in this film. I asked so much of the Bennett girls. I asked so much of Nancy. And I asked so much of, of the slugs themselves, with Simon and John and Wally, Steve and, and Rick. Um, the one thing I felt like I could ultimately offer, and especially to the girls, was these passages. Because they didn't know you know, the extent of which, you know, they, had, they hadn't seen these books. Yeah. They, they didn't know the extent to which their dad had written about them. And not just written about them, you know, like Della took her first step today, but these really quite philosophical contemplations on being a parent and, and on watching these children specifically grow up, um, as well as for Nancy, too, that, that recollection that, that she reads about them meeting, you know, back in the late 70s. So I felt like, my goodness, I've put all these folks through the ringer, you know, early on in, in research. Yeah. This was one thing I felt like my my team and I could give back to them was this, 
you know, again, sort of curated ability to almost have a conversation with their dad, you know, decades after his death. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's again, another moving um, thread throughout the film. Um, would you indulge me, Teresa, in some technical things? I'm, I'm curious yeah. to know, how, how does it work in terms of, um, how do you decide where a person is filmed or interviewed? <laughs> Pre-COVID or during COVID? Because those uh, are very different answers. Yeah, that's true too, yeah, isn't it? Um, I mean, for me, it always depends on the film, right? Mm. And I tend to, I tend to savor, you know, finding people in their natural habitat. So I always love, you know, if I can get an interview somewhere in a space that reflects that individual. So, for instance, we interviewed Sam Feldman in his office, mm-hmm. you know, and you can see his right. yeah. dog behind him and there's, um, you know, Diana Krall behind him and, and, and such. Um, you know, for characters, but, but, but with COVID, that obviously changes things. Yeah, and yeah. so what we did was we started looking at renting larger venues specifically music venues, that we could do a series of interviews that were adequately ventilated, mm. <laughs> that gave us sort of the technical requirements that we needed. And that's how we ended up. Basically, um, we rented the Commodore. We did several interviews in different parts of the Commodore. And, and, you know, obviously it's such an incredible venue. We could make it look different depending on where we were. Yeah. Um, and then in, in Toronto, we rented the Horseshoe Tavern. And you know, put our different subjects in different places. Um, so, so again, that that's sort of in COVID times, <laughs> our response to oh dear God, we need to find a place with adequate space and ventilation so that we yeah. can safely choose. But that's that's sort of my my approach. Yeah, and then um, when, when you go into someone's space, their own their own house or their own office, say, mm-hmm. um, do you have a say in terms of of what's around, or or I mean, I'll bet people tidy up before you show up (laughs) hopefully they do yeah Um, yeah i mean generally speaking we'll always do a tech a technical scout first Mm -hmm. you know so i'll come with my crew and we'll talk about where we're going to be and that's usually a good opportunity for me to say "Ooh, um you have a movie poster behind your chair that i can't get clearance for Mm -hmm. can we move that or um this chair would look so great if we could angle it towards this window is that all right so, you know, it the best way to do it is if you can build in that additional prep time so you're not just showing up and trying to figure out how to make someone's space work for filming. Because, as, as of course, you know, there's technical requirements yeah. uh, beyond beyond the creative. So that's, that's usually how I approach it. What was it like to interview your mother? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ugh. Never in a million years would I have thought that I'd be putting my mom in front of the camera. Um, I'll have to say, I have to say, John Fulton, my producer, um, who, again, I worked with on the Rank and File, he was the first one to say, Teresa, you realize you have to interview your mother. (laughs) And John knows my mother. They have a bit of a history where my mother um, uh, makes fun of John, we'll say that lightly. Um, (laughs) You know, and likes to likes to razz him, um, but my mom is obviously well known to my friends and to even some of my colleagues. <laughs> She's quite a personality. So, um, you know, when when John suggested that, I thought, you know, he's kind of right. My mom is this very, you know, hard, sarcastic, uh, idiosyncratic personality. But but more to the point, she was there. 
she was on the ground. She was the other parent when Shay and I were, were best friends. And, and her memories, you know, to help support um, the story I was telling ended up being critical. So it was actually, it was a real hoot. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And she was, you know, she said no a million times. Obviously, <laughs> I really had to put a gun to her head. But ultimately, I think it was, it was a lot of fun for, for both of us. There's a marvelous moment in the film where you ask her what she thinks about you making this movie. <laughs> it's a real laugh-out-loud moment. <laughs> she, Yeah, she gave me a hard time after she saw a cut of the film. She's like, Teresa, you make me look so dumb. Like, I know that I said more insightful things than that. I'm like, yeah, but we used the funny lines, and you knew we would do that. So you had opportunity to pray. You, you, you made your own bed. So, but she's really happy with the film too. I'll bet, and and the other people that that appear in the film, they're happy with 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 how it turned out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's yeah. just it's a film that it was a really tricky film to make, you know, because at its you know at at its base, it is the story of Doug and the Slugs. It's the rise and fall of this iconic Vancouver band who made music on their own terms, led by this um, very unlikely rock star. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and that's certainly the film that I started out trying to make. Um, but as time progressed, it became very evident that I was not capable of making the film only about Doug and the Slugs because of my personal connection to the Bennett. And it was something that I thought in the beginning might help the film and help with that access, but it, it, it became evident that I, I actually couldn't separate myself and I couldn't separate the way that I wanted to make the film from that connection. And so it was really over the course of making the film that that storyline and my storyline of my, my connection to the Bennett family really, really came out. And so, so far I haven't heard any booze. So far folks have been pretty happy with it. But, you know, I just wanted to say with that too, you know, the reason why I think it did you know, because I've seen a lot of POV films that don't always work. Uh-huh. You know, sometimes yeah. you see the filmmaker wedge themselves in, and I was incredibly nervous to to make a POV film because I have seen a number that, you know, I don't think live up to, you know, that just don't justify it. But what became evident really quickly was, again, in exploring my, my connection to the Bennett family and this idea of friendships and relationships that... That was also a theme that I was seeing in the Doug and the Slug story. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and I hope I hope that you got that from watching it. Exactly. So we, we really worked at, at at paralleling these two, you know, incredibly intense relationships, both mine and Shay's, as well as Doug Bennett and John Burton, um, as well as you know Simon Kendall being part of that mix as well. So yeah. at the end, for for us at least, it felt organic and it sort of you know made itself. Um, and just the last thing to say to that is, again, I'm also in awe of, of John Burton and, and Simon Kendall uh, specifically because they were incredibly generous with me, not only in doing things like, hey, John, do you want to read some mean things that Doug said about your relationship? <laughs> but but also in just trusting me as they, you know, saw the film evolve over time. You know, obviously it, it's gone in this very personal way and and simon and john have been so supportive so i just again i'm I'm in awe of those two and i'm so excited for them to get to finally watch this film with other people and and share in the the slug love that we'll all be sharing in on may 14th indeed um i, I hate to ask this question because you're you're you've just finished this project and you're, you're <laughs> getting it out there into the world but are you working on something else now 
Ah, yes. Well, here's the thing, Joe. With our history, if I say it out loud on your show, it's actually going to happen. So I have to think it through. Um, I did just wrap um, a short comedy for the National Film Board um, for the Governor General's Performing Arts Award. And I was lucky enough to be gifted uh, the one and only David Foster. Mm. Uh, So we have a short film with him coming out uh, later this month. Um, but beyond that, I am developing several projects. Um, probably the, the biggest one I can't really talk about. Sure, sure. But I will say it can, it's a, how do I put this super briefly and super cryptically? It is a buddy comedy documentary about a science fiction television star and a young man with a profound disability and a quest that they go on together to build the assistive technology of the future that is all i will say well, there you go um <laughs> uh, until then congratulations <laughs> and good luck with this film i i i um i was a fan of the rank and file and and um this movie is is, is just one of my favorites i i was moved Aww. i laughed out loud um, I like the music even. Um, the, the, the Doug and the Slugs part was great, but then, and, and me part was, was, was just lovely too. So congratulations again and, and all the best. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Joe. And thanks for having me on the show. I'll see you in four years. <laughs> <laughs> the film is called Doug and the Slugs and Me. Tickets are available for uh, the, the screening Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, and Sunday evening as well as uh, on streaming at doxafestival.ca. The website for uh, the, for more information on the movie and Teresa is at slugumentary.com. The film's uh, director, Teresa Elfeld, join me on the line from here in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.